the first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. Hey guys, welcome to the First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting across from Alexis Linkletter and next to Billy Jensen, who's wearing a V-neck. I always have to call out your clothes for some reason. Yeah. Well, because, because he's a, very, he's, an, he's a wild card. You're I'm always a, wearing something strange like a V-neck. What's wrong with a V-neck? I'm just not a V-neck. I'm not, I'm not a V-neck. I am a V-neck. <laughs> I did when I had when I was like really working on my clothing line. I wanted to make Jack Vanek V-necks and call him Jack V-necks. I love that. I know. That's such a good idea. It's pretty genius. But I just don't like a man in a V-neck. All right. It's also National Lash Day. Lash like eyelash yes. or like lashes like whipping. Ooh, it can go either way, but I think they're talking about it. The lashes. picture has a lash. Okay, yeah. interesting. An eyeball, right? Um, that's pretty. That's a good day. That's a great day. You know, mm-hmm. I'm gonna get my eyelashes tinted so, so, soon. So, all right, I'm into that. It's inspiring me. Well. That's enough of that. So let's turn down the lights and turn up your anxiety. Because this could be you. We're going to start by having you think about the items you have in your purse or in your wallet. You have your keys, your makeup, your chapstick, breath mints, gum, hair ties. And sometimes you collect things without even realizing it. Receipts, ticket stubs, and business cards. You don't think anything of them other than the fact that you will have to clean out the mess in your purse one day. But what if someone looked through your purse and found a business card that to you was completely innocuous, but to them, it was a threat? Today's case takes us back to not that long ago, July 17th of 2018. Drake was in the middle of dominating the billboard slot, this time with the song Nice For What, and Sorry To Bother You and Ant-Man and the Wasp were in theaters. Today's case is taking us to Pamplin, Virginia. And according to the Wikipedia page, Pamplin is a small town of about 200 people sitting on the Appomattox and Prince Edward County line. Median household income is $28,000. The town is home to the former largest clay pipe factory in the country. And the Appomattox Library recently turned the Pamplin City train depot into a library and meeting space for the town. So like we said, this case takes us to July 17th. And it was on this day that friends and loved ones of 19-year-old Megan Metzger were starting to grow concerned. A number of people in Megan's life noticed that they hadn't heard from her in a couple of days. And people started talking with one another, and the concern grew because with every conversation with a different friend of Megan's, everyone was becoming more and more concerned. They were all getting the same answer. No one had seen Megan in what seemed like days, maybe even weeks. Two days later, Megan was reported missing. And the Virginia State Police started probing Megan's friends and family to see if they could come up with any leads as to where Megan could be. You see, even in this preliminary phase, the police were having a difficult time confirming Megan's whereabouts. And this is because Megan didn't seem to have a permanent residence. She had moved apartments and it seemed like she had been staying with various friends for short periods of time and occasionally returning to live with her family in Pamplin on and off for at least a year. And to the police, it seemed that maybe Megan had a strained on-again, off-again relationship with her family, which could be attributed to a number of different things. So the hope was there that the rebellious teenager would show up unharmed. Maybe she was with a group of friends. Maybe she was out partying. Maybe she was with a boy. The explanations could go on and on. So our first degree today is Cherokee. And she was a very good friend of Megan's in high school. And remember, Megan's only 19, so it wasn't that far back. So we first met when I was in middle school. So I met her when she 
when she was about like 14. She was really open and like we have we all went through that kind of you know um I don't want to call it an emo phase because that's so stereotypical but like we kind of all went through that phase where we just didn't really feel understood and we were like that group that understood what was going on I feel like when I vented she understood what I was going through I was in middle school I didn't really know my place and she didn't really know hers either so it felt good to know that somebody was kind of in the same position that I was because we didn't she didn't really talk about her parents too much I knew that her parents were divorced when I really hung out with her quite a bit she lived with her mom and I'm pretty sure her dad lived in California at that time because I remember she went and lived with him for a while when we got a little bit older and then she came back and she didn't really like her mom and um but I know that you know, that's really all the only place that she could go. When she came back from living with her dad, that's really when she didn't talk to any of us as much anymore. I had heard, like, here and there from her, and, like, I would slide up on her Snapchat story and be like, hey, I miss you. Like, I hope you're doing well. And just to, like, let her know, like, hey, I'm still your friend. Like, you can still talk to me. But she wasn't really close to us anymore after her mom had, you know, supposedly kicked her out or she even decided to just go by herself. Because I know she would, like, um, I wouldn't say run away, but she wouldn't tell her, like, um, parental figure, like, where she was going all the time and stuff like that especially when we got older she wasn't really big on letting people know where she was all the time so the police sent out megan's identifying information to neighboring law enforcement agencies and said that she was a 19 year old white female blonde hair blue eyes she's five foot five and weighs 150 pounds and she had a five inch scar on her right arm And she was driving a white 2004 Mazda four-door sedan, which was also missing. Everybody really does know everybody in Caroline County. Um, So when people heard about it, it spread around really quickly because everybody knew who Megan was. She had gone missing. I was really involved in criminal justice and watching um, Criminal Minds and a bunch of um, crime TV shows. But I, my first thought was like, oh my gosh, she's been kidnapped or something. Because I'm just worrisome like that. Like if my mom doesn't answer the phone, then I'm going to think that she's kidnapped. So I was like, I hope nothing bad happened to her. I wanted her to be there. I didn't want her to be one of those people who you just remember because you see a police report on Facebook about it or you see something on the news about it remembering her. Like, I didn't want that to be her on the TV screen. When police first examined this missing person's case, they couldn't see anything overtly ominous. There was no reason to suspect foul play. But that was all about to change. When the police received a tip that a car matching the description of Megan's was traveling into a neighboring county. Police responded to the area where the car had been spotted and they continue up the road in the same direction. Then on the side of the road, nearly 100 feet from the shoulder, police see a car smoking, smoldering and on fire. And they could see that it was a white Mazda. The officers approached the car, but as they did, they see a man sprinting towards the thick woods that were surrounding the road that they were on. And these aren't just regular woods. They're thick, dense woods with thorny brambles that are nearly impossible to run through without cutting yourself up really badly. So the officers split up. And some would stay with the burning vehicle and the others would pursue the fleeing suspect and try to apprehend him. And they finally did. And after the chaos was over, a closer look at the white Mazda sedan confirmed that it did in fact belong to Megan. And I think we can all agree that the discovery of Megan's burnt out car would be chilling. It, and it was. It prompted glaring questions, the discovery of this car. Who was this man that was driving Megan's car and subsequently fled from Megan's car? Where was Megan? And was she okay? So the investigation that started as a simple missing persons investigation with no evidence of foul play was now exploding into a desperate emergency situation. None of this looked good and the clock was ticking. And meanwhile, officers were still executing an exhaustive search of the woods near where Megan's car was found. They searched for almost 12 hours until it became too dark to continue safely, and they would have to resume in the morning. 
Virginia State Police investigators then turned to the media to spread the word and confirmed to the news outlets that Megan's disappearance was now officially being investigated as an abduction, which qualifies her for the Virginia Critically Missing Adult Alert Activation, which is basically similar to an Amber Alert, but for adults. Megan Metzger was reported missing yesterday. Police believe she was abducted. Online real estate records show Metzger's family does have a home in Pamplin, but state police say Metzger has relocated her residence multiple times in the last year. I spent the day in Pamplin talking to neighbors, but no one had a strong connection to Metzger. Right now, that search continues just outside of Richmond. Deputies were called to Leestown Road in Westmoreland County Thursday for reports of a car fire. They found this white 2004 Mazda destroyed. A car registered to Megan Metzger. Metzger, an Appomattox County teen, was reported missing Thursday morning, last seen Tuesday. They did not find any trace of Metzger near the car, but now a search is underway. At this point, people are running through any and all possible scenarios of what could have happened. The man driving Megan's car, maybe he's a friend of hers. Was he a stranger? Maybe she's fine and she lent her car to this friend. Or maybe she was no longer alive. They had no idea. And they would need to apprehend the driver to find out and fast. And luckily for them, it would only be three hours after they called off the search that police would get the lead that they needed. So it was 1 a.m. when two farmers had called and said that they saw a man running barefoot, bloodied, and muddied into the woods on their farm property. And when police arrived, they found the man hiding in the woods and took him into custody. He was covered in bloodied scratches from running through these brambled woods, as we said earlier, and he was cuffed and taken into custody. And when you see his mugshot, he's all cut up. Westmoreland County investigators say 19-year-old Juan Benavides was found in the woods near a home wearing only his underwear. Westmoreland County Sheriff's deputies say they got a call from a concerned citizen early this morning saying they saw 19-year-old Juan Benavidez in the woods nearby. Scorch marks can still be seen nearly 100 yards off the road where officials say Benavidez lit 19-year-old Megan Metzger's car on fire, abandoning it and taking off into the woods. This man, Juan Benavidez, who is 19, has been charged with the vehicle arson. He and Metzger are acquaintances. He was interviewed for several hours Friday morning, but details about his connection to Metzger were not released. So this case now has a lot of elements. It started out as an investigation of a suspect vehicle in a missing persons case. But as it unfolded, it morphed into police responding to a car fire, then an arson investigation, and finally a manhunt. And while they had the man who was driving Megan's car, they still didn't have Megan. I saw it on Facebook while I was at work. So I'm like, you know, my mind goes even further back and I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is really happening. Like somebody, something bad really happened to her, but I didn't know anything. So I, I just kind of was waiting to see if anybody would come forward about it or like just trying to figure out what could have happened to her. Like, where is she? So I was, I didn't know what to really feel or think. And obviously, so everybody who loves and knows Megan is watching these news stories and see this man being arrested, driving her burnt out vehicle. So they all believe this one guy is responsible. They think he's responsible for the reason why Megan is missing. By now, the story was all over the media as well as social media. There were tons of rumors along with the frustration that some of these citizens who believe the police weren't really doing a good job of keeping the community in the loop on everything that was going on. And I'm pretty sure the reason for this is the police really didn't know themselves what was happening. This case was getting more bizarre by the second with no signs of slowing. Right. And the search for Megan persisted. That is until police began discovering dismembered body parts in Fairview Beach, Virginia. Human remains were being found at various locations around the community, spanning multiple counties. And then the police discovered a cooler that contained a human head. And this cooler was found in the driveway of a home on Cottage Road and at the mobile home park on Botts Lane. And this was the home belonging to Juan Bienvenides. Human remains were found at various locations across multiple counties. 
they were all gathered and sent to the office of the chief medical examiner in Richmond for examination, autopsy, and positive identification. The hope here, of course, is that it is not Megan. They're hoping to find her alive and well. But the fear is that it was Megan. Um, I, I really was shocked and I was upset that she was actually gone because I was really hoping just for her family's sake, even if they weren't on good terms when she died, nobody wants to go through life knowing that like how their child died, especially in that gruesome way. I had read in the article saying that they found, um, some of her in um, in Fairview Beach and then some of her in Westmoreland. We were all kind of upset together in this big group, like trying to understand why this happened and why her. So at this point, remember where we are in our investigation. Juan had actually been in custody for a number of days and he'd been questioned and interrogated at length. And over time, he started to crack and he started shedding light on what happened on the night that Megan died. And along the way, he implicated three friends of his to be involved in Megan's murder as well. And those friends were 23-year-old Keelan Codinia of Spotsylvania, 25-year-old Robert Keating of Spotsylvania, and 20-year-old David Weston Newton of Fredericksburg, Virginia. Like, who the fuck is this? I've never met and interacted with any of them. So I was like, who, how did she even know him? Everybody who lives here knows everybody. So when I had heard about the people who did it, I was like, I have no idea who these people are. You know, they were all friends from, at least from what I read and from what I could tell, because I have no idea who they are. <laughs> so I had never met them before. I never, i didn't know their names until I read all of this. It, it's bad enough that you guys already did that to her, but to dismember her body and put her in multiple different places, and she didn't deserve to do, she didn't deserve that at all whatsoever. I feel like it's very disrespectful, and it it really hurt not only me, but a lot of her friends when we found out that she was scattered like that because I'm not like I'm not the only one that watches true crime shows and stuff like you see everybody sees that on tv that this can happen but you never really think it's going to happen until it does to somebody that you love Who are these four people? And more importantly, what was their connection to Megan? And what were their roles in her murder? So once all four of these suspects are in custody, the truth about what happened the night of Megan's murder really starts to come to light. In addition to that, other people were there when it happened and witnessed what had happened also started to come forward. And to the horror of all involved, it seemed that there are multiple individuals who knew and witnessed Megan's murder and then helped conceal the crime in actions that spanned multiple counties. The police pieced together the events that led to Megan's senseless, horrific murder. And the whole thing had started with a Facebook message. And she had known uh, David Newton for quite a bit, but then they you know, lost touch. But then she reconnected with him about a month prior to her murder over Facebook. And it was through him that she met the others and had been invited to a party at Robert Keating's house in Spotsylvania on July 17th. So on that day, she drove to Robert's house to meet up with David, but she ended up staying at the house because there was this party going on. And it wasn't just your normal party. This was a party that had been going on for three days straight. That's my nightmare. Mm -hmm. A three-day-long party. Yeah. One 1.5-hour-long party. Yeah. Yes. It's not crazy for her to meet somebody that would be partying but not to that extent like i just feel like that's a different kind of party that i didn't think that she would go to you know like there's drinking parties and then there's like drug parties and that's a drug party <laughs> everyone there was drinking and using various drugs so this is one of those full-blown rager parties where no one has slept or probably even eaten for days so the party was still going, and most of the party goers were hanging out in Robert's basement at this particular time. 
And at some point, Megan became separated from her bag, from her belongings. Days into this party, you'd expect such a thing. And David and Robert saw her purse and felt compelled to go through it without her permission. And reasons why you could speculate, probably because they're on drugs and they want to see if she has money and they're the kind of people that even if they're your friend, they'll take your money to buy drugs. Mm -hmm. Maybe they didn't think Megan was pulling her weight and paying. Who knows? Maybe they were bored and wanted to look through her bag. Who knows? But it's a weird thing to do. So either way, David is rummaging through her bag. And as he's feeling around, he feels, you know, a piece of cardstock or whatever in her, in her purse. And he pulls out a business card and he looks at it. And it's the card of a probation officer, presumably Megan's. So here's some backstory. Megan had gotten into very minor trouble for drinking in public and disorderly conduct, very benign sort of crimes, teenage crimes, mm-hmm. things that I did myself. Um, so it kind of makes sense that you would be given a business card of if it, it maybe it wasn't even a probation officer, but someone like, hey, call upon this person to stay on the straight and narrow type thing. So that's what this was. And uh, the issue with with this business card was that it also had the word investigator typed on it. And now Megan would have very easily been able to explain something like this away to a level-headed sober person. But imagine trying to explain something like this to a person who has been doing meth or heroin for three days with no sleep, not having eaten. Imagine mm. the paranoia, the irritability, the imp- the lack of impulse control that you're dealing with. There's a whole other host of implications as to possible frame of mind and the people she's trying to reason with while explaining this. Right. And David falsely and extremely irrationally went straight to the conclusion that Megan having this card meant that she was an informant working for the police. Obviously, this was not true, but David didn't believe her. And Megan kept trying to explain over and over again why she had the card, but David kept going and badgering her over and over. And then the partygoers in the house heard a man yell, you're a fucking narc. Then they heard a girl scream, and then they heard a gunshot. David had shot Megan in the face. And after the gunshot, Keelan and Juan went running up the stairs, and someone yelled, Davey fucked up, as the party dispersed. Megan Metzger died in the basement of Robert's house while the other partygoers went to a nearby trailer to do drugs. And David's behavior was so erratic following the shooting that his friends gave him Valium in an effort to calm him down. So we have multiple witnesses to a murder. And here's what happens next. Everyone at the party was forced to hand over their keys and their phones. This was to make sure that no one would call police and tell anyone what had happened. So everybody's sort of going in, all in, saying either they were forced to give it or they said like, yeah, that's a good idea. And they give their keys and their phones. And what's interesting about this, it feels like a movie moment. Yeah. It's, it feels vi- it yeah. feels like it's written. Yeah. Like we're all like blood packed. Nobody talks. Put your phones in. Give collateral. It just seems fake. It's very theatrical. It's unreal. Yeah. So then they have to decide, you know, they've got everybody's silence. So now everybody is complicit now. All right. Everybody's put this stuff in. How are we going to handle the situation? They just killed an innocent girl for no reason. They had to cover their tracks, and this is what they're thinking. But nobody seemed to agree about how to move forward. They needed ideas. And the first plan was to rearrange Megan's body and make it look like a suicide. That plan eventually fell apart. Remember, everyone is sleep-deprived and on days of drugs, which made it difficult to not only think clearly at this time, but come up with any kind of creative ideas. One person had the idea to take her to a pig farm in a nearby town. But at some point in the discussion, a plan was hatched. It was decided that they would dump her body somewhere. But before they did that, they would dismember her to ensure that she wouldn't be identifiable. And David told Keelan and Juan to do the work. And they used tools to sever Megan's head, to remove her fingers and toes, and remove her teeth. And her body parts were then placed in plastic totes and stashed in the trunk of her car. Okay, so here's the thing about what Billy just said. We talked about these totes um, of, of Megan's dismembered body parts being put into the trunk of her own car. So what's interesting is that in hindsight, we learned that initially the police found the car, but didn't release the fact that there was any human remains in the car and maintain this um, at least media facade that Megan was still missing. There were still 
hoping for tips. And I think that was strategic um, because I think they were looking for more information. And I think sort of if the body was discovered, maybe those would have stopped or there had to be some um, investigative strategy that they were calling upon to hold that information back. But if you do look into this case, you won't, you'll find that after the car was found, she still thought to be missing yeah. for a number of days. Yeah. yeah. And that's really interesting because obviously you don't know whether they, they probably didn't say anything. They didn't tell their friends. They didn't tell family. So the family's still out looking for her, mm -hmm. but they know that they've got to keep this, this close to the vest um, because they are, they're trying to figure out who did it. It lends credence to the fact that there were a lot of things they were holding back because there's a lot we don't know about this case. Right. I do believe there's more because I, I do think there were so many people at this party yeah. that lots of deals were made to be like, you testify. This is what we'll hold back. You testify. We won't implicate you. You mm -hmm. testify like you'll get immunity. And it was it was like uh, they had to cherry pick what to share. Right. Because otherwise it was going back on some a deal. But that's the only thing I can think of to explain this because there's a lot of things like this in this case. It's a little convoluted. So then there's what to do with the murder weapon. So Robert and a female friend take the weapon to Washington, D.C. to dispose of it. But by then, they probably were looking for another fix. So they didn't dump the gun. They actually sold it to buy more drugs. And that's when Juan was sent to get rid of Megan's car and find somewhere to dispose of Megan's remains. The remaining witnesses returned to the scene and attempted to clean up any evidence suggesting that Megan had ever even been there. And that included dealing with Megan's car. The plan was that Juan would drive the Mazda into the woods and set it on fire. And then David would be right behind him to pick him up. But David never showed up. Instead, he dropped the car off near Juan's house and left him to fend for himself. What a guy. Damn, what a guy. So once all were in custody, Keelan, Juan, and Robert all claimed that the only reason they helped David conceal the crime is because they were worried that he would kill them. And slowly, the details were released to the media, and the residents of this rural Virginia area were beyond shocked. The horror of it all, it was overwhelming. How could something like this happen here? When I heard about the party and everything, from my understanding, I'm thinking that she was probably there and they were all hanging out. And since they were so fucked up and probably needed more money for drugs, they were like, Megan probably has money and she just doesn't want to put up it and like put up the money to get more. So I feel like that's how the situation led. I think that somebody was rummaging through her purse because they wanted to steal money from her and steal whatever she had in her purse and they found that. And, and, I, and I don't think that it should have been handled like that at all whatsoever. I don't give a fuck who you are, who, how bad you think you are. There's no reason to take somebody's life over something, anything, really. I don't know if it was peer pressure, like during that night, you know, you all, you see stuff on TV and you're like, you can do crazy things when you're pressured into doing something. I don't know if they did it because David was telling them, you know, I'll kill you too or what, but I, I just find no excuse for that at all. And I don't think that it was right of them to help him. He made his own mess. Even if you were there, you should have called the police. Like, I don't think that it was right at all for them to do any of what they did to her. The four suspects were charged and convicted as followed. Keelan and Juan both pleaded guilty to charges that included accessory after the fact of murder, defiling a dead body, and concealing a dead body. Robert Keating was charged with being an accessory after the fact of murder. And David, the man who pulled the trigger, was hit with many indictments, including Megan's murder. He was given 40 years after being found guilty. I think that they are an abomination. <laughs> Evil. For what had happened, there's no reason for the outcome of what they decided. You decided to do that. And it, it changed a lot of people. It didn't just change her life. You ended her life. It changed your life and three others. And it changed her friend's life and her family's life and um, it, it ended hers. So it, it, there's no good that came out of it. I think they all should have died life because if you're going to be a part of it, then you have to go down for it. 
a business card in a purse in any other situation, that card would do little to nothing. It's just a transfer of information for the purpose of communication, the purpose of networking. But to a man and a group of friends partying for three days straight, high on meth and low on sleep, that card meant a threat. And a senseless decision to turn that threat, as false as it was, into a murder would end a young woman's life. Um, Because I I didn't really know her family. I just really prayed on... Um, for her and for her mom and um, you know I just really kept them in my thoughts in my in my heart I know it's a it's a big thing to go through it was a big thing to go through for myself and she's not my daughter through the course of her experience Cherokee noticed kind of a disturbing trend uh, as far as what the media was focusing on Uh, and that's what really made me upset the police are so like worried about the suspects and that's all that they put out when when you when you see cases and pull up news articles and stuff it's always about the suspects and i really feel like it proves that in this case that it really is all about the suspect most of the time because it's really hard to find anything about megan without including them somehow um She's saying a lot. She had a YouTube channel for the longest time. Um, And sometimes I go back and watch her videos because it's just like, it's comforting to know that she likes doing that because a lot of things, like she didn't really like going to school. (laughs) And none of us liked going to school when we were younger. But um, that was one thing that she really loved doing. And she loved to do her makeup. Um, She always had some crazy eyeliner on and some crazy eyeshadow that I just thought it was so awesome that she could express herself that way and not be ashamed about how she looks because she likes the way that she looks and I really admired that about her she really loved to sing and she um wanted to be put out there with her singing so that's why she made her YouTube channel that's one thing that I distinctly remember so I found that YouTube channel that Cherokee's talking about and here's Megan not singing, just talking because we can't play her singing because she covers, unfortunately, in this instance, a Post Malone song that we can't replay a cover of legally. So at least this will give you a taste of just kind of her personality. What's up? Okay, so my kitchen currently is being renovated. So I'm not trying to stand, but I'm going to sit over there and do this cover. And yeah, I just tried to record this, but like the music was too loud. It like over did my voice. So we're going to redo this and see how the fuck it goes. <sighs> okay. All right. So we're going to go with that. If you like it. So a question we try to ask all of our first degree guests is how has being connected to this experience impacted them. It could have been anybody in this town. And it it really made me realize, especially at that point in my life, like I really have to be careful, you know, who I hang out with, who, who knows where I live, what I do. And really, you know, cut. I didn't really cut back on my friends, but I, I was really careful on deciding who was my friend at that point. It really made me realize that you can't trust everybody because I, I used to really put my heart into everybody because I thought that, this, you know, everybody does bad things, but there's good in everybody. And I and I think when this happened, it made me really realize that there, there are just some people that there's no good. Well, thank you so much to Cherokee, our first degree connection today. If you have a story you'd like to tell us, you can email us at hello at the first degree podcast.com. You can follow us on Instagram at the first degree at Alexis Linkletter at Billy Jensen at Jack Bannock. Join our Facebook group. We are talking all things true crime all the time. Go grab some merch. And again, we will be at CrimeCon this year and use our code degree 2020 to get 10% off your passes. It's going to be fun. And remember, we're also doing our new merch giveaway. We're, new old merch giveaway. Yeah, but it's... we did it before. Yes. Okay, Resurrecting fine. it. It's, we're resurrecting it. Yeah. And uh, if you leave a comment, a good comment, review. and a review, sorry, with a comment. Because <laughs> a lot of times if you you just do the stars and not that you, we want people to do both. Yeah. And uh, uh, also leave your Instagram handle 
if we pick you, if it's a good review, if it's well written, if it speaks to us, if it sings to us, we will let you choose anything. Anything in the merch store. We're great. We're great, and yeah. Yes, not everything, but anything. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers and keep your friends close. But not that close. Sources for today's episode include Fredericksburg.com, CBS News Channel 3, News Channel 10, WTVR, The Times Virginian, The Farmville Herald, Court Documents, and as always, our first degree guest is always our largest source. Welcome to Killing Time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Killing Time. Okay. <laughs> the Killing Time. <laughs> so we're still taking some of your guys' questions, but I picked a few questions that are the first degree specific questions, more so about the podcast, how it works, questions about the podcast, etc. All right. Well, first we're going to start with Brooke Sanchez, and she says, have any of you had your personal first degree experience? Well, Brooke, you need to go back. You got to go back to the beginning. Yes. Because my first degree is episode two. And Alexis's, I think, might be episode three. Oh, was it three? I think so. Oh. Yeah. And then Alexis also had her a recent first degree that I think we did Christmas. over the holidays. Yes. yes. Our Christmas episode, the 25th of December, 2019, was my other first degree. And there are more to come. And yeah. you would think Billy Jensen would have many just from his, his profession. State. Yes. And he still is trying to think of one that he can still do. Still trying to think got, of one. one. We veered. We veered. Good for you. Yeah, we veered a little bit into when we talked about like the Joel Rifkin stuff and things. Like we veered a little bit into like a little You've bit of first degree. Adjacent, but I've been adjacent. I was the one. The, the Howard Elkins case. I was the one that told. It was the reporter that broke it to him. You know, I don't know what like that those is. Kind of I don't know what that means either. You, you guys Howard Elkins sounds like he's from the 1800s. Okay. Yeah. All right. That was the the woman that was found in the barrel in Jericho. Um, Are you talking about under, Bear under, yeah, under yeah, the yeah. four blocks. No, I had, I had, unfortunately, in my book, I had two cases of women found to find in bar- oh, barrels. That's wild. Yeah. Well, I mean, if we do, it, you could, and that's hard. It's like, it's, we interviewed Payne Lindsay recently, uh-huh. and it's as a first degree connection. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't obviously a first degree of yeah. the murder itself, but he became a first degree yeah. of the story because of his podcast. But so you've kind of become a first degree in some of the murders you've solved. In the murders I've solved and things, we could we could do that. Yeah. yeah but, but there there are more interesting uh, uh tales. And yeah. I already told it already because it's in the book. So Yeah. But so those those are our first degrees. Okay. The next question um comes from Maud LaRoche. Maud is the best name. Especially for somebody our age. Maud. Or younger. What an amazing God, I'm gonna steal that for my kid. Yeah, that's a good name Maud. for a kid it's up in different, and it's like mid-century modern. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Mod, Mod, we uh, love your name. Yeah, she says, and we got actually a few of these questions, and it said, "How much time goes into the research for an episode?" And then there are also some questions that just asked about the episode process and you don't have to show us like what goes into the sausage right but i think it's just interesting to talk about you know what's the first thing you do once you get like a name okay so are we gonna start with just the name question or should we go i don't know like if you get like a, we get a name yeah what i do or like we get an email from somebody writing about okay. can you look into this case so this is for everybody who's trying to just be better at researching people in general if that's your thing whether it's for safety or interest or whatever and i told jared monaco this and i said you have to Google yourself in quotes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because then it's explicit. Yes. It Googles only for that with no other variants because there'll be like 50 Jareds who come up. 10% will be stuff about you. Yeah. But and then the if, other if stuff if will be did, about Jared you, Leto. Yeah. yeah. But in, and there's like a Monaco way like 10 pages yeah. away and they, and they put you in that algorithm. But if you Google yourself in quotes, whether if you know your name comes up generally with like a middle initial or the middle name, how your name appears legally, Google it in quotes, everything, it'll be like 20 pages of you. And right. you'll, you'll, you'll know what's just out there. Like explicitly though, it's, it, that's the first thing I do. I okay. Google people's names in quotes. Then what? Then what comes next? So then it just depends on the relationship to the crime. So the person's name I generally look for is like, I'm connected to this person. So right. you want to figure out the connection to the story. So then what you would do is you'd sort of just, 
I then plug that name into newspapers.com in quotes and have the same thing happen. Generally, depending on the commonality of the name, there'll be like a hundred thousand. You pick a state, it goes down to about 8,000. You have to find other variables to Pick a, a timeline is, is often super important. Yes, of course. Yeah. If the crime occurred in 1980, you can measure. Like I do like a five-year gap because if mm-hmm. there's like lots of court cases that followed proceedings, I mean, you know, whatever. And then is newspapers.com, say for a crime that happened after like the internet, obviously. So like in the 2000s, do you still go to newspapers.com or is that more like a Google thing? Well, it's interesting. Newspapers.com is a lot. Billy will know this. Writing for the newspaper, the, the stories were so much more detailed and so much more descriptive. And it's like colors and names. And, yeah. and, and, and they don't do it on the internet right? The, the sa- in yeah. the same descriptive manner. Because literally, we'll find a case that was even current, like 2015, for example. And you go, you Google it, and it's it's sort of the AP version. And the Associated Press just gives you the facts. And it's there's like not a lot bones. of color. Exactly. Yeah. But for some reason, if you go to the same date and the same article, and the AP is generally sort of attached to most of these articles too, there's so much more detail. Interesting. Yeah. Like you learn about like what they were wearing and how they looked. And it paints what, more of a full picture. I don't know why. That is interesting. It's yeah. interesting. Like newspaper was more... Uh, I think just robust with details. Yeah, no, because you had to paint a picture. Yeah. And unlike, you know, TV, you don't. Because yeah. the picture's there. You know what? We it's can destroy it. You know? just, just internet. Well, internet and internet stuff, just because, well, the internet lazier. reporting, you don't, make as, you don't make as much money. So yeah. you don't have as much time. You know, you got to crank out so many more. And, and yeah. um, a lot of, like you were talking with AP, what happens is, is that as the newsroom shrank and the newsrooms are 50% what they used to be, you know, 15 years ago. Um, that's more, you're going to rely more on those AP stories. It's like, oh, this murder happened. Even if it was a county over, we don't have anybody to cover it. Let's just run the AP story. Right. You know, and the AP story is not, you know, there's a lot of great journalists that work at AP, but you know, they know that they're they're not going to dive deep into it. And they're also not going to do that second story, maybe in third story that, that the local newspaper might do. They do everything. The AP, like they're the most broad national sort of source, very reliable Mm -hmm. too, and, and unbiased. So it's like, they just do everything, so it's not. They don't need to deep dive on everything because they're doing no, everything. because they have that's, everything. That's not their business. Yeah, is the deep dive. they want their business. They're covering the entire country. Articles, yeah. just knowing what what we can know, and then obviously photos. Yes. Um, and then so you you get all your research. Oh yeah, you get all the research, and then are you when you you're piecing together stuff? You have sure. like a Google Doc, right? I have a Google Doc, and then you're are you do you just put all the info into the Google Doc, and then you start to create because. You tell a story that's different. It's not like you're taking an, a Dateline episode yes. and you're just copy pasting it. Like you're crafting your own story. Mm-hmm. So you find your facts and you you copy and paste the facts all down the the Google Doc. And then do you get all your facts and then you start to make the story? It's two prongs. So as I like the second somebody emails me about a story and I, I Google their name in the quotes, like we said, the second I start reading, I create a Google Doc and like everything, I put it in chronological order. Yeah. And I make a timeline. Okay. And that's just what I do the second I read it, because otherwise it's doubling my work. I read it once to learn it and I read it once to to make an outline. Like I just start making a timeline is yeah. really more what it is. So then once we do the interview and we see from this person's point of view, if they're like, I found out at this moment, that's where you start the story. Yeah. That's our archetype. You know what I mean? It has to be based on them rather than just a chronological story. Yeah, exactly. It's like and of course we'll find that like it'll be a body discovery and then when our first degree heard about it or like the incident happened and then they heard about it like it well i'm thinking of the i can't remember which episode it was but um it was our first degree that was running and discovered the dead body yes so it's that was an interesting perspective because then the story started from her finding the body and then Mm -hmm. we work backwards yes and i think this is the biggest thing about storytelling because like yes jack because typically it's like when the person goes missing or the bodies like it's it's when they go missing. It's someone witnessed a crime, whatever. But like, you just have to choose a voice. Yeah. Like, and that's what they say about everything creative. They're looking mm-hmm. for people with a voice. It's what's your point of view. And for us, it's always just been the person we opt in to, to like partner yeah. with on this story. And it's their point of view. And that's where we generally, to the best of our ability. I mean, of course, there's exceptions where we had Rasha and Yvette. And it's like mm-hmm. their point of view comes way later. They come later, whatever. It's unique in that way. Or if it's like someone who witnessed an execution, you're coming yeah. in at the execution. So let's give you the backstory. But generally, it's people like are impacted yeah. by crimes very early on. Yeah. It's and generally, you don't, yeah. And, and yeah. a lot of times, if you're going to watch a story um, that is on a, uh, 
you know, like on some cable TV network about uh, an hour long program and they'll have an interview with somebody who is a first degree. A lot of the people are first degrees, Mm -hmm. but you hear maybe five seconds of what they're saying right? um, because they're trying to tell the entire story and they're trying to tell it in such a a fast manner. But we were able to get that that different point of view. And that's why even when we cover cases that have been covered over and over and over again, it's so different because we're giving a different point of view. I mean, yeah, when we go back to well, the execution, but yeah. even our Ted Bundy case, like that could not have been more of a cool, not cool is not the right word, interesting perspective of somebody that witnesses execution. Cause you don't usually, I don't think anybody has heard from that perspective mm-hmm. of such an infamous case. Well, what's fascinating about a, an execution and like, I'm not saying I'm for the death penalty or against it. This is just an observation about an execution that's happening. It is a, it's the culmination. Like that event is like teeming with, so much resentment and anger and media influence and it's just the it's all coming to a head seeing the culmination yeah. and seeing this the the social like the implications how everyone is behaving you see like the true depths of humanity yeah like when people are like burn him it's like people uh, the shirts people the, resort fry, back fry bunny fry merchandise we just yeah, always yeah. we resort back to just primal yeah and that's what that is the best example it of is. i mean it's like animalistic almost yeah you don't see a lot of that in in modern day i mean that was in the 80s, right, Billy, or 90s? Um, 90s? As far as what? Like His executions? Execution? I can't uh, that remember. Been, I think it was the 80s. 80s? Yeah. It was the 80s. So it was like yeah. the 80s, but it's like we don't have any of that stuff anymore. No. Those sort of... Um, well, as far as the big... Ca- Listen, if GSK gets it, uh, you know, we know he's... he's you know, he's not going to be killed. Time. They don't have the death penalty. Yeah, I know. But California. You know All it takes is a new person he's to change. But no, no, they just it. Um, but if that happened, there would have been a little bit of a sir, but not as much as Bundy because Bundy was happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, if if Samuel Little gets it, it's mm-hmm. not going to no, be as big as that. It's different. Yeah. The optics are different. In the 1970s, it's not you holding a sign going viral and you losing your job. The optics are different. So I think it's interesting. Also, I mean, you just think about social media and the internet and. There's just so much going on these days that I don't think it's as big of a spectacle as things were back in the day with anything. I mean, mm-hmm. you even think about just true crime in itself, like, you know, even with like a Chris Watts versus a Scott Peterson, which are very kind of similar cases, unless you're into true crime, you don't really know who Chris Watts is, but everybody knows who Scott Peterson is because it was earlier in time and there just wasn't as much noise around for people to not focus on it. It's true. There's so much content. So much. It's like, there's so much much. It's too much. And everybody's trying to cash in and not everybody's doing the right way or the respectful way or whatever, but you're right. There's so much content. Yeah. We're literally, they learn, they learn our algorithms and we're watching Hulu and it's like, here's your true crime feed. Mm -hmm. I'm like, wait, dude, it was, do you see when I posted on Instagram? Yes. It was an, like they know me. If they know like every single three things. <laughs> it was like Natalie Holloway, John <laughs> Benet, like Scott Peterson. It was so crazy. It's crazy. Who is your dream guest? Ooh. On the first degree. What story would you guys like to tell? You guys I go, can go you guys first. go first. Yeah. My dream guest would be Larry David. Okay. And have, oh, oh, I know the crime. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yes. Larry David. Well, just because he is just my ultimate man of all Your dreams. of my life. But um, if anybody doesn't know about this story, watch this documentary called The Long Shot. It is the most fascinating case of two of my big loves com- just combining. And I love it. Give give like a synopsis. Okay, so basically the case is about um, a man that was wrongfully convicted of a murder. And when they were asking about his alibi, he said that he was at a Dodgers game. And they didn't believe him. And basically they're trying to find any sort. I think that he had his ticket or something, but it wasn't enough because it, you know, he could have left and done the murder and come back, whatever. And he was there with his daughter. And basically what ended up happening is they happened to be filming an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm, the same Dodger game in the same area that he was sitting. And for the whole game, they weren't letting anybody pass through at all, but they happened to let this man with his daughter walk through to their seats during filming. And then they got it on film. And they got, I, I saw it too. They had more of him just sitting there during the game the yeah. whole time. They, they, they had like hours that, of him. And it wasn't yeah. stuff that made the air, made um, it the episode, no, but, but it, was it was just stuff that they had to go through. It was like B-roll. Yeah. It was yeah. like yeah. B-roll, yeah. yeah. But that was, that was how he got exonerated. Yeah. And like, I th- he's addressed this a few times, Larry David, right? He's, he's on the documentary. 
and it's i mean he's just so larry david on it and he's like it's kind of cool i get to tell it at parties (laughs) he saved his guy i mean he saved his life thank god i mean he'd still be in jail it's It's because they were out to get him like that was their guy and they weren't taking any other answer for for it so i think he would be just the most incredible guest on our we hear you larry yeah do you guys want to go you go billy like what story you want to tell I, I mean, there's a difference between, you know, you always wonder who has, who has a story, yeah. you know, like who would I want to like actually just be in the same room with? Like does, you know, just guys that I know that are just like, would, would be wonderful guests, like a John Stewart or somebody. You oh know? my God. Yeah. I wonder if he's got a story. You know? Well, I bet it's, it's probably crazy in Hollywood. I bet so many people do that. Especially they never talk yeah. about. Yeah. Yes. I mean, most people do. And this is a really strange podcast in a sense where, um, you know, you, you, you can't necessarily go up to somebody and ask them if they have a story, you want them to come to you. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's a weird question. Yeah, almost invasive. It, yeah, yeah, well, people yeah. always email us stories. They're like, find, like cover this. I'm like, we don't do that. We no. don't, we don't like penetrate somebody else's life to be like, do this and upset them given the trauma of what this show, like what a crime happening near you already is well and i think it's interesting i mean you've talked about it a lot before Mm -hmm. where it's hard to get people to talk obviously it's probably the most traumatic moment of their lives for anybody that knew anybody Mm -hmm. so to knock on their door being like hey can i interview for this show it's it's invasive to just exactly and so to feel just like the best about our show that we do we generally only take people who want to talk it's like we don't we don't we don't seek people out because it's Meant to just be positive. And people generally come to us. It's therapeutic. They want to do it. it. It gives them a platform to like express whatever it was because whatever happened when this horrible crime happened is it's traumatizing. Yeah. So there's an outlet, you know, but, and we appreciate when people are like, Hey, will you cover this case? And I, I respond to the emails. I'm like, hey, are you connected? And they're like, no. Yeah. Well, we can't or if it's seek like them a, out. Yeah. Or if it's like a case in a small town or mm-hmm. somebody's small town that never got a lot of media coverage or something it's we would obviously love to but again it's we need somebody to come to us yeah because we, we don't want to upset anyone yeah and we can't just pick and choose any case that we want so it's a it's like a very delicate dance yes. that we that we do you just want to tell like genuine stories that's right okay should we call it yeah that i'm supposed to say that no I, no, it was it was you say should we call it, and then I say yeah we should call yeah, it. You yeah, said, you just should said we should call we call it? it. All right, should we call Wait, it? Let me... Okay, should we call it, Billy? Yeah, we should call it. <laughs> All right, time of death nineteen. I'm gonna have to do it later because.